Hello and welcome to Life in a Bubble with me, Oliver Dingley. This is the podcast where we get deep and personal with some of Ireland's most talented people. Speaking of talented people, our first guest is a hugely successful radio presenter. Some of his many credits include co-hosting 2FM's massively popular Breakfast Republic show from 2014 until 2019. Nowadays, you can hear him on the airwaves on Saturdays and Sundays on 2FM. I'm looking forward to today's guest. It's the one and only Keith Walsh. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first ever episode of this brand new podcast. So the concept of this podcast will explore six photos from significant moments in our guests' lives. Three will be from our guests directly, while another three will be picked by me. These photos could capture happy memories or even difficult times, but we'll get to the bottom of why that moment and the journey behind it means so much. Now, before we start, I want to say a huge thank you to you listeners for tuning in. I hope you, like me, are looking forward to hearing all about Keith's journey and those specific moments that mean so much to him. Now, of course, we aren't going to leave you hanging because we have all the photos from today's episode on our social media pages. You name it, we have them all. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and Snapchat, all at Life in a Bubble podcast. So go over there, have a good nosy and have a look at all the photos that we discuss today. Now, enough of me talking. It's about time we heard from the man himself. Keith, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Now, you're an extremely successful radio DJ. You've had some fantastic achievements over a brilliant career. But Keith, there's uh, one achievement in particular that I would like to pick your brains about and that is you were nominated as one of ireland's most stylish men twice i believe twice. yeah you should have done you, your, you're, a, you're a veteran of yeah this, you of should have your, your research yeah yeah <laughs> i think um they felt sorry for me and put me on the list i, I figure you're a stylish man like, <laughs> I just... if i could look like that then uh, i mean I go for the t-shirt and jeans look, but you make it look so much better than me. That's pretty much what I wear all the time. But I wear a backwards baseball cap, which I think makes me stand out I, as, an, as an older man. Uh, check shirts and backwards baseball caps. That's my look. But it works. <laughs> two, two times as well. I didn't know it was two times. Two times, yeah. But yeah. so for this show, we are going to go through several photos and you're going to talk about those photos and why those photos mean a lot to you. So we will start with photo number one. Okay, so the first photo I brought along is of me and my... My wife, Suzanne, on our wedding day. I don't know what the background is. Myself and my wife, we've known each other for a long time. We actually met in school. I arrived uh, to a town called Newbridge, having lived in Athlone in the Midlands. In tra- uh, it was after transition year, fifth year. And um, I had to go over to the girls' school. This is a terrible, terrible thing that happened to me. I was told on arrival into the boys' school, the patricians, that they didn't do art. So I would have to, uh, three times a week, go over to the girls' school to do my art, which I was devastated. I'm with. sure. And, uh, so um, when I arrived into my one of my art classes, I spotted this uh, young lady, and uh, that was Suzanne. And we kind of we got to know each other in school, and we ended up getting married. Met each other probably 15, 16. And and got married, I think we're about 29 uh, in that photograph. So, and we're still 
Imagine if I was about to say, we're divorced now, but I just want to say, please, Suzanne, take me back. But, <laughs> thankfully, it's, we're still together and we have two kids and uh, um, we still live in Newbridge. So, oh, very yeah. nice. I feel like I arrived in Newbridge and she targeted me as a, as a blow-in and just to sort of, you know, mix, mix, mix up the gene pool. Uh, she was probably sent by the people of Newbridge to marry me and have children with me. So uh, I have a feeling. They worked that, a treat. That's, that's what happened. Look, I'm happy. The people in Newbridge are happy. She seems mostly happy as long as everyone's happy that's the main thing yeah, that's the main yeah, thing yeah. and you were very creative growing up then with, with art and uh, and writing and you, you got into your writing for radio documentaries yeah documentaries well, well art art was my first sort of I suppose creative outlet as a young man uh, I always thought I'd go on to do I actually applied to art college um, I had portfolio did quite well in art and the leaving cert and that was kind of my thing I had a portfolio um so I did a one year of a portfolio course after college and then I didn't get, I wanted to go to National College of Art and Design, I didn't get it. So they advised me to go to a better portfolio course in Ballyfermot to do my portfolio again for a year and then try again. So I was about to do that. Uh, meanwhile, the school I was in doing the portfolio course, there was a guy who approached me and said, look, we have a drama course here. It's a two, possibly three, it was going to be, become a three-year course, uh, diploma, possibly a degree uh, in drama. And we think you'd be really good. Would you be, would you be interested? And I had in school done musicals and shows and I had been on the stage a good bit. So I said, oh, yeah, well, maybe I'll try that. Uh, so I ended up in drama and part of the drama course was obviously performance. Um, but also there was script writing, there was directing, there was uh, a bit of video production. So I kind of moved more into that side of things, the performing and the writing um, and the directing and the production of material and all that kind of stuff in college. So so the radio, how did the radio come about then? Um, well, that's a kind of a, like it's it's like anything in life. I I studied the drama and I, I, I suppose I was an actor. I came out of college as an actor. Um, I, th I started doing auditions. I did three auditions. I didn't get the parts so I stopped Okay, <laughs> because I was like well obviously nobody wants to give me a gig little did I realise that actors literally go on maybe three <laughs> auditions a day yeah rejected all the time I rejected all the time and that's a big part of it I don't think I was able for the rejection um, so I stopped uh, kind of I was living in Dublin and I was with my wife and we just kind of lived in Dublin we were working I was a little bit kind of lost um, didn't really know what I wanted to do and I um I'm just trying to think of the or the order of this how it happened we went to, we decided actually just just to leave Dublin went to London uh, and we the plan was to go to London for a year save enough money to go travelling so between the two so we lived in London worked in hotels restaurants saved the money and headed off to Australia via Asia went to Australia New Zealand Mexico on the way back America and kind of you know travelled for a year and then came back ended up living with a friend of mine who'd studied he had studied in Maynooth but he ended up doing I think it was a master's in film so we were living in the same uh, apartment and we started chatting about trying to get write some scripts for uh, comedy scripts that's what we were into there was, there was shows on the television like The Fast Show um, Harry Enfield and Friends all that kind of stuff and we were kind of watching that stuff and and trying to come up with our own Irish versions of these comedy characters um, and he was working on a TV show at the time doing some work experience and he was out filming in this community radio station called Near FM and he came back home that day and said look I saw this sign on the notice board when I was filming and I said there's a radio course do you want to do it so we went off to uh, took two buses every Thursday to do this course an hour long course in radio 
in Kulak. Near FM was the name of the, the radio station. And uh, we did six weeks. At the end of six weeks, you had to produce a tape of uh, an hour of radio. And we submitted that and they gave us an hour. So we did a year and a half of doing radio on, on community radio stations. So it was just like comedy characters. Like we had like a guy called Tony Divley, who was a local councillor who, who wanted to fill in the canal f- so they'd have more <laughs> space for, for cars in the city. <laughs> and so it was that kind of stuff. You know, it was just r- stupid stuff. We also had a, um, an air uh, airline based in Finglas called Air Finglas, uh, <laughs> run by four people from Finglas. And uh, it, one of the characters was called Elvis. And it was just, so it was just ridiculous um, comedy characters. And we, we scripted them up and we, we, we performed them every, we performed them live on the oh, radio okay. every week. Yeah, yeah. So, was, so, so uh, impressions, uh, how, how are your impressions? Yeah, it wasn't so much impressions, but I just put on a Dublin accent, you know what I mean? And he talks like that. Nah, that would be it. And that would be me. <laughs> That would be me fingless lad, you know. And then, you know, you might just put on a woman's voice like that. So you, you, that was kind of literally it, you know. Uh, it was very basic and uh, not very high tech. And I don't think we would have won any comedy awards. We 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 used that hour and we made up tapes. And I have to say, it was my friend Joe who kind of did. He did a lot of the legwork. He was very driven. Um, he was kind of sending out tapes to radio stations on a sort of regular basis and then arranging meetings. And this new radio station called Spin was setting up. Uh, still going. So, so, so you, were, you were the talent. I was the talent. I was the creator. I was like, I, you know, you need to write down what I'm saying here. You need to record everything I'm saying because I am the talent. And you're. He was. He was very good. He was very well organised, and, and I, I definitely am not. Um. So a new radio station called Spin was setting up and this guy called Liam Thompson came across our stuff and said, look, do you want to do what you're doing on New FM but get paid for it and do it every Saturday on Spin? That was how we got into commercial radio and that was our first paid job. You know? That's fantastic. And that leads me on to my first photo. Mm. So I'll get you to describe what's in that photo and just, I want to hear the backstory and everything that led up to that photo. Well, this is a picture of myself and Bernard and Jennifer in the studio. Uh, the Larry Gogan suite, actually, the, uh, is named after the legend that is Larry Gogan. And uh, I think this is probably, and, and I'm in the photograph as well, uh, this is probably maybe three years into us doing Breakfast Republic, which we did for five years together. And um, yeah, well, I could say we all look very happy. This is before we all fell out and <laughs> <laughs> hated each other forever. So um, I can't remember what it was for, some sort of publicity photograph. But that was, I think that might have been three years in. And we, yeah, so we did Breakfast Republic together for five years. I had worked with Bernard, you see, after I, I, I worked on Spin for five years um, with Joe. And then I left Spin. Joe went off to work in, with News Talk. I went to help set up a new radio station called iRadio. Uh, they have two, they have sort of one radio station, which goes all the way from Galway over to the east to kind of uh, Kildare, Mead. And I was sort of taken on to work with iRadio help set up iRadio and I was a programme director um, of one part of it uh, there was iRadio West iRadio East and then they, they became one but at the time uh, I was um, working for iRadio in the East and I did the breakfast show the first breakfast show on iRadio in the East with Bernard O'Shea so we worked together for nearly three years on iRadio and um, 
And when our old boss from my radio got the job as head of 2FM, he wanted to put a breakfast show together. So he thought, ah, we'll get Bernard and Keith back on and we'll, we'll throw in Jennifer, who had been on The Republic of Telly with Bernard. And she was kind of a rising star on the television. And he thought, obviously thought these three might work together. Bernard had worked with Jennifer. I'd worked with Bernard. I'd never worked with Jennifer. But the three of us, we did a few, we came and did a few demos. Dan was happy and we got the gig. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, uh, I never would have envisioned being the breakfast show presenter on the national radio station because the 2FM gig is a very prized job and not many people get to do it. So it was a big privilege for me and we had a great five years. It was, I mean, I, I learned so much. I We had such great laughs. Um, I think it really struck a chord with a lot of people, you know. I think people really enjoy it and I still get, you know. I mean, I suppose it's only, we've only finished a year so people are still kind of like, oh, you should bring that back. That was great. You know, people what, still what, miss what it. What a show it, it was. Mm. It was uh, the way well, you, you were, were you together. Were, you were on with us, weren't you? I, I was on a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you pulled me out of obscurity of uh, the, the sport of diving. And, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we were very, I was very interested in the Olympians, that uh, our Irish Olympians that were heading off and I, I thought we, we might make a nice feature to get as many of them in to, to talk to us on air just before they headed off and you were one of them and we were proud to have you on and we were, we was, you, were great, you were a great guest and, uh, <laughs> thank you um, but we had a we just kind of we bounced off each other well and it was very kind of there was no there was no egos do you know what I mean? There was nobody. You could, we kind of slag each other off. Like the thing with us was we slagged other people off as well. But first and foremost, we, we took the mick out of ourselves and each other. And that was kind of the whole thing. And people like listening in because it was just, you know, I don't like to use the word banter, but it was like three friends just almost like trying to trip each other up. It was like, <laughs> like I went on air every day trying to do a show and they tried to mess. And that was kind of the whole premise of it. It sounded very physical as well. I know you stood up there in the studio and uh, I don't know, just the, the, the your body. I know on radio you can't see body language, but you can imagine what it's like as, as you three, yeah, just go on at each other. Really. Yeah, and it was, it was like, you know, it was physical because, you know, sometimes I'd have to physically restrain Bernard and, and restrain myself <laughs> from punching him. And, you know, and, and Jennifer might be holding him back if he tries to punch me. But uh, it, it was that kind of show where you, you had you, you kind of had three hours. We, we all kind of stood up and we'd really just go at it for the three hours and, and try and sort of pull a show together out of a sort of a, almost a madness, you know. And at 6am as well. Yeah, well, we actually, um, we, yeah, from six, we started at seven, actually, and I used to do the hour before uh, just to get warmed up. And they, the guys... Do, do, do you need that hour before to get warmed up? Well, I would... I a morning an, person or... I just needed an hour on my own before okay. they came in. <laughs> because once they came in, it was just like, oh, like... Bouncing off the walls. It, like was, it, was, uh, it, it would take its toll because you're, you're you're constantly thinking you're trying to t you've stuff to do you've scripts to read you've songs to play you've got the ads you've got the news coming up you've got all this stuff going on and that's was I had to do all of that stuff you've got the producer in your ear and the two on the other side just do whatever they wanted and they didn't have to worry about anything you know uh, they might read out the occasion script if they wanted but they pretty much just came in and messed so I had all the all the pressure and you'd feel like you'd be, you'd be absolutely wrecked coming out of it you know I know um, Owen McDermott was in the paper recently saying that he feels like he, he's only been doing it for six months and he feels like he's, he's aged 10 years and he reckons he's put on about two stone. It's it's a tough gig, you know, but uh, it was just an, an honour to do it and to be asked to do it. And you want to do it just because of the people that have done it before and the young people listening that might want to do do that show. And, and also, like, we didn't realise, but when the show finished up, like, you had people who were in first year and had listened to the show right through to their leaving cert and were heading off to college or people that started college and listened to it right through college in their first year of work. And it 
was a big time in their life. It was a big chunk of their life. Our kids started in primary school and they were in sixth class and we were finishing up and they were like, this is all I did every day. This is, this is like you were in the car with me going to school. Like, and people were genuinely devastated. It was like, take that breaking up. Well, you're, you're, well yeah, can I imagine you? Because you are a humble man, but I think that's one thing you should be very proud of mm. is the fact that you have been a part of these people's lives. I, th- I think so. And I tried to be pr- proud of it. It's difficult at the time because you're just, I mean, you're, you're just, you're focused on getting the show done. But I, I think looking back, yeah, I mean, we, 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 all three of us, I'd say, are proud of that. And we got a lot from it, you know, and, uh, um, it's kind of like, you know, what to do with it after the five years. That's, that's the challenge, you know. So, Keith, it's time for your second photo now. Okay, well, I'm going to go for this picture here. This is a photo of myself and my cousin, John. Um, and we're finished, we've just finished the Dublin Marathon. And that was 2016. So, uh, yeah, that was, I just picked that because, I don't know, it was one of those, running a marathon was never really something, I always said marathon running was it just well, it wasn't for me you know it, was, it seemed ridiculous to try and run for 26 miles why would you bother you know and I suppose it's kind of that's the type of thing you say when you feel like you wouldn't be able to do it um, and I was approached by a company and they said look do you want to do you want to they wanted to do this kind of they had this idea to do to encourage people to run the marathon so it was kind of like you know the couch to 5k was a thing yeah, at the time yeah, yeah. and they were saying we want to find somebody who hasn't isn't a runner and doesn't really run um to go from couch to marathon in the space of six months and, and they identified you well I, was, I obviously looked like a likely candidate <laughs> they kind of put the feelers out and they were like we need to find somebody who might be interested in doing it and, and someone who isn't actually a runner and doesn't and I at that point I hadn't really I wouldn't really run have run 5k I wouldn't go out and I wouldn't be a jogger I, I would have done a lot of work in the gym and stuff but running wasn't wasn't my thing um so I kind of said, yeah, look, it's, I'm mostly as a person, if people ask me to do something, I'll, I'll, I'll say yes, because you never know. And the marathon seemed like something that would be a challenge for me because I really didn't want to do it. Um, and <laughs> I, this is my cousin, John. So he lives in London. He works in the city in London and we're kind of like brothers. So we we grew up together. He We both kind of grew up in, in Kildare. He lived in Nace. I lived in Newbridge. And we just hung out all the time together until college and stuff. And he, he went to live in, in London and I live in Ireland, obviously. So we don't see a huge amount of each other. We keep in touch a lot. And I just thought that'd be a great thing. He can train in England. I'll train in Ireland. We'll get together. And we sort of had a time in mind that we'd both run at. And we, we ran the, the entire thing uh, side by side. At one point, uh, I'd say around I'd say around 10 kilometers to go, maybe seven kilometers to go, I I. I kind of pulled up and I thought I'm not going to be able to finish this and he had kind of gone on ahead but didn't notice now he was trying to run in under four hours so like he kind of had the time in his head but once he looked around and saw that I was I'd stopped he came back oh what a man and he got me going again and he, and he and he ran with me we ran side by side he ran across the finish line and we finished it together he was we were outside the four hours so we did four hours ten minutes because of me I held him up <laughs> and I just you know I'm very grateful to him for, for doing that you well know? you did it together and and I mean first of all you're not laying down in that photo it's pretty impressive to be able to stand up after a marathon yeah my legs were pretty sore. Uh, I didn't have too much chafing. I used plenty of Vaseline, so I didn't have any. 
I didn't have <laughs> any long lasting injuries because of it, <laughs> but my, my legs are fairly aching at that point. So we got through it unscathed. Like, I mean, at that point when I pulled up, that's kind of the wall, you know, and I obviously hadn't taken on enough, uh, enough jellies to uh, feed my body with sugar. <laughs> and uh, as you can see, we're kissing there in the photograph. So that's it's beautiful. The emotion has overtaken us. You know? <laughs> it was good to see two grown men kissing. Um, you see a lot of grown people kissing after a marathon. Yeah, yeah. I would have kissed anybody at that point. I probably kissed that ambulance uh, behind me at some point. But uh, I know it, was, it was just a great experience and it was great to share it with somebody of that. The other thing was it was 2016, so it was the 100th anniversary of... Um, 1916 so we got a very special uh, commemorative medal of course um, uh, com commemorating the rising which which kind of meant a lot to us as well and it was just a, it was a great day it was, great. it was a great photograph and great memory so that's why I picked that photograph and not only is a marathon a physical thing but it's also a a poignant moment for mental, your own mental capacity mm. and ability to, yeah. to to push yourself and those boundaries. I did the Los Angeles Marathon the next year. And in the meantime, as I was training for the Los Angeles Marathon, I got an injury in my neck, which was like a bulging, little bulging disc in my neck, which was touching off my spinal cord, which was very painful. And I couldn't lie down. So it meant I was going for weeks undiagnosed. Couldn't, I was waiting to see a specialist taking very strong painkillers. Uh, and not being able to lie down so I couldn't sleep I was trying to sleep sitting up this is around the time I mean I was doing the breakfast show at the same time so I was going into the breakfast oh. show in pain having not really slept and I was supposed to be training for this marathon um, I eventually got to see a specialist he gave me some steroids which seemed to patch up whatever the problem was but I hadn't really done enough training at that point and I was like a few weeks out from doing the Los Angeles Marathon and I kind of thought well I've done a bit of training I hadn't quite got up to the 20 miles and I kind of felt like I still had the double marathon training in my legs kind of so I said look I'm going to go for it I'll take it easy if I have to I'll do I'll do a mile on mile off and I'll just get through it and I'd no time I was just going to get to the, the start line and I always make the point to people that the most difficult part of get of doing a marathon is just getting to the start line because so many things happen along the way you get so many injuries you have so many reasons to not train you have so many reasons like you know that it's the process the process of getting to the start line is the hardest thing well, one day at a time one day at a time find. yeah and uh, and that, and it's never over till it's over so I mean even the fact that I got to the start line in Los Angeles I ran the, I managed to run it in five hours which wasn't too bad considering um and I was just delighted to do it. And, and actually, in the end, I was happy that it was slow because I got to take in Los Angeles. Beautiful sights. All I'm the sure. sights, you know, Hollywood Hills, you know. Uh, <laughs> very leisurely. Sunset Boulevard, you know. I mean, I was, I was in a little bit of pain, but it was nice. And it was very emotional, you know. So both the, the Dublin Marathon and the Los Angeles Marathon coming across the finish line, I'm, I'm, I'm in floods of tears. And all the kind of, all the stuff you've been through and like uh, just getting, as I said, getting to the start line, getting through the race. You just you overcome my emotion. And you just feel, it's it's one of those few times where you're allowed to just feel proud of yourself um, and because marathon running and I'm sure that what you do as well with the diving you, if you don't do it no one else is going to do it so you have to do it yourself so you're allowed when you do well to actually feel proud of yourself you know and I, and I know you, you probably have trainers involved but with the marathon it's literally you getting up on a Sunday morning and doing the hard miles and, and I said to anybody first of all doing a marathon getting to the start line you've already won and when you're finished, that's the one time in your life you can just be proud of yourself. You that, know? That's a lot of time in your own headspace. Yeah. Which, mm. uh, which I, I find personally quite hard, having too much time of just my own voice talking. 
Yeah, but you sort out a lot of stuff as well. You, you know, do. you, yeah, you yeah. kind of get through. You, you know, you can the first kind of few kilometers if you're out running can be tough, and and you, all you notice is how sore your legs feel or how you know stiff you feel. And once you get into it, you know the next few kilometers, you you, you start just getting into your stride, and then you're, you're you start thinking, and then you actually start. There's many times I went on a run feeling in, in in one frame of mind, and coming back having sorted out whatever the problem was and feeling a lot better about it. You know, so it's uh, it's running is very zen. You I would say so. I actually spoke to someone recently and they said they'd never regret a single training session of running. Mm. It's the one thing where you can just mull over and uh, yeah, sort out your problems, mm. identify things and also just get healthy at the same time. Yeah. And it, it can be difficult to leave the house. I'd say like so. Going to, <laughs> yeah. Like or going to the gym. It can be difficult to arrive at the gym, but you you never you never leave feeling anything than 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 elated and, and great, you know. Well you're obviously a very healthy man and uh, I actually read a uh, recently in the newspaper, I think it was in the mirror, uh, it said uh, Keith Walsh gone from dad bod to ripped god. Ripped god. Wow. To okay. ripped god. Yeah. That was that was another thing. Like it was another ch- TV show where so, someone targeted me as Mr. Couch to, to six pack. Yeah. Uh, and I literally had a dad bod and a bit of a, it was, I was getting, I was that age where I was kind of, you know, it was going to become, I'm going to have to decide whether to wear my belt over my belly button or under my my belly. <laughs> and they said, how would you feel about joining a gym and seeing if you get a six pack in, in the space of six months? And yeah, I ended up, I did, did pretty well. I'm not sure I had a six pack, but I, I learned a lot about the gym and nutrition and, and how to get into shape. And I was, I was very glad of it because... Um, I definitely was becoming a very uh, comfortable in my own skin and 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 belly, uh, and and it, it put me on a different path. So, well, you're a very driven man, and uh, it's time for me to get my second photo of you. Okay. And this is a a time of your life which I personally was very inspired by when I when I saw this, and I have a screenshot here. It's actually of an Instagram video, which I will let you explain this to everyone. Okay. Yeah. So this is um, me in my. I call it the office at home and uh, um, I did an Instagram live where I spoke about therapy and I the reason so so to explain uh, how it came about my I was I, I'd started seeing a therapist when the breakfast show finished up um, because I had some time on my hands and I was like I've done the running I've done the gym. I've done the, you know, I've been I've been voted twice as Ireland's most stylish man. You know, I've done I've looked after everything on the outside. Okay, <laughs> so my physical appearance, everything, um, and I'd never at any stage of my life looked at my head and trying to see what's going on there. Um, and I'd always kind of felt, as I explained in the video, a little bit outside of what's going on, a little bit removed. Like I tried to explain that sometimes my family were together and they'd be all like kind of having a great time, having a laugh. I'd feel like I don't really feel part of this. You know, I, I, I it'd been a long time since I had a proper belly laugh, like really enjoyed something, like look forward to something. Um, and I wasn't feeling terribly low, but I wasn't feeling terribly high. I just kind of, I was existing in this sort of space where Irish men would say, if you ask them how they are, they'd say they're grand, you know, and I didn't want to be grand anymore. So I started going to see this therapist and part of my therapy, he said, you need to start, um, he said vulnerability is a huge part of learning uh, how to feel emotion again, you know, so uh, all the different emotions, the happy and the sad and all that. And, and I, I probably, I was probably, he was uh, he would describe it as blocked. Uh, so he said a big part of it is your vulnerability so I thought well how to how could you be more vulnerable than to explain to people that you're going to therapy and 
um, to share the fact that you're going to therapy and how much you've benefited from it um, and to be just completely honest about why you went to therapy. That's quite vulnerable, isn't it? So I kind of uh, dance around doing this video on Instagram just to do it for my own, as part of my own therapy. And my sister had asked me to come into her place of work to give a talk because they were doing Mental Health Week and they were doing this series of talks. They wanted people to come in and talk about their mental health or just anything. And it was around that time, I was, it was, it was a Monday, I was due to go in and talk on the Tuesday. I was sitting at home in the office and I was about, I was trying to write this thing that I was going to, and I said, look, I can't, I'm not very good at sitting down and writing uh, speeches. So I said, what I'll do is I'll verbalize it. So I just picked up my phone, stuck it on Instagram Live, and I just explained to anybody that was watching uh, about going to therapy and why I would recommend it. And, that, and it seemed to just, um, it struck a nerve with a lot of people. I got a lot of people get in touch with me and say they were very, I mean, there's one of the comments here on the screenshot, uh, fair play to you, fair play to you, making it a bit easier for people to open up. Um, and that was kind of the idea was that uh, maybe people might see a ma an Irish man like me and I'm vulnerable and I'm saying, well, I need therapy and I don't mind saying it and these are the reasons I need it. And they might kind of go, okay, right, if, if it's okay for Keith, then maybe maybe I should go and uh, see a therapist. Well, it's one thing uh, articulating it, but I think with mental health, which you articulated it so well, but uh, trying to describe something that you don't know why you have it either is, is a hard thing to describe when you don't know what it is. Mm, yeah. When, when you're, you're stuck in a rut... And you, you, you're crying for, and you don't know why you're crying. You don't know how to communicate to that people. So I, I found that video just a great stepping stone of how you managed to get there and to talk to people. Because I, I know it's not easy uh, when you have these emotions that you don't quite know why you have them. Mm. Yeah, you don't know how you're feeling. You don't know why you're feeling how you're feeling. Um, and I suppose, like, the the guy I go to see, he ended up, I mean, all, anybody that got in touch with me, I just said, look, if, if you're feeling like this, get in touch. I, I don't mind. We, we can talk, you know. And I had, I had some free time, you know. And I got so many people get in touch with me. I passed any of them that wanted to onto my therapist. And he ended up getting something like 20 patients out of it, right? Which for 20 Irish men that's 20 men so that's 20 families that's just going to make a difference to because they're going to go home they're going to be happier they're going to be more engaged they're going to feel more engaged with life they're going to be better I, f I feel better I mean I was I would have said I was a good dad I would have said I was a good husband but I wanted to be better you know and I feel like that was going to happen for those 20 men so you're kind of you're, you feel like you've changed people's lives without try I'm not trying to um big up myself but that's kind of literally what happened and I, and I, I remember one young guy getting in touch with me and said Keith I'm about to get married and I had this he didn't get into details I've had this trauma that happened in my life that I've, I've never told my fiance about and we're about to get married and she's often said to me what's wrong with you like what you know, she knows there's something and I can't tell her what's wrong. And I'm about to, I'm, like, if I get married to her, I'm, I'm going to ruin her life because I'm going to stay the same. I'm going to be blocked. She's never, she's going to feel like it's something she's done and it's not. I put put him on to the therapist. He's, been, he's gone to therapy and it literally probably changed their married life because he was able to say, I need to deal with this. And in fairness to him, some people are so... He wasn't in such a. He was able to recognise that this is going to be a problem, and he's able to deal with it. And that's the people I'm talking to. Because as I said in the video, I never had that experience of not being able to get out of bed due to that dark, dark depression which some people suffer from. So I, I've never had it that bad. But 
there's there's a group of people out there that it might not be that bad, but it's still affecting their life. And even just to just to say, like like the Americans would say, like if you ever listen to the podcasts, uh, you know, if you listen to I like, I like to listen to Conor Bryan, he's like, oh my therapist, and they all go to therapy in America. They all go to therapy, and they yeah. they talk about it, and it's like going to the gym. It's like going to it's so open and honest, and it's not a bad thing. And even the way we're we, we're kind of talking about it now, it, you can end up being you know sort of like oh you know tilt the head, and people say oh God, poor old Keith, he has mental health. Well, we all have mental health. So just go and try and get it fixed like you would your car or your, your, your body or you go to the doctor for your checkups. Go and get your head checked. You know, why not? It's good. It's a good thing, you know. Definitely. And I think men in particular, mm. middle-aged men find it very, very hard uh, yeah. to, to talk. Yeah. And I've, I I got a lot of uh, wives and girlfriends got in touch with me as well saying, look, what you described is my husband, my boyfriend. I, uh, what can I do? And I said, look, show them the video and see how they react to it and say, look, I, I, I feel like he's just talking about what I feel you're going through. And and for a lot of them, it worked and, and they, they, the guys agreed to go to therapy. So um, it's just about having just about having the conversation, getting out there, make people think about it, make people think about their own situation. And uh, I think that when young men go to college, get a, you're, 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 you're in school, you're in college, you get a job, you hopefully get married. If you're lucky, you have children. Then you can get to an age where the children are a little bit older, mine are 17, 11, and you kind of look back and you reflect. And that's like people would call it midlife crisis. Uh, it's, it's, midlife, it's midlife reflection. And you go, hang on a second, where am I at? What am I doing? What have I done in my life? And that's where the old traumas can rear their heads. But it's also a time where you can, you've got that space to go, right, I'm going to fix this. And it's a stigma that shouldn't be a stigma. No. At all. No, it shouldn't. It, it shouldn't. There's, there's no reason why anybody should feel bad about going to see a therapist. And the great thing about the guy I go to see is people saying, like, I can't, I can't make that appointment. I said, look, email him. He'll, he'll, he'll send you, he'll send you back an email. Tell him how you're feeling by email. He's very good on Skype as well. You know, so there's, there's other ways. Don't feel like you have to. And I, I, I followed up with some YouTube videos of me going to see Luke and just showing the inside of his room and what would happen and asked him questions like, are you going to try and make me cry when I come in here? All these questions that people might have or misconceptions. And it's just about trying to make it just a normal part of life so people that need it can just go without feeling bad about it. And they can turn around to their wife and go, look, I'm going to see a therapist next week on Wednesday at two o'clock so I won't be around to collect the kids and make it that normal, you know. Keith, it is time for your third photo now. Yeah. Which I'm um, looking forward to seeing. Well, I've picked this one. It's a picture of me and my family when we took part in um, Ireland's Fittest Family Celebrity Edition. Oi. Which, uh, celebrity using the loosest, in the loosest uh, term of I the mean, word. You were twice nominated for Ireland's Most Fashionable Man. I think that's what got me on uh, Celebrity Fittest Family. And uh, <laughs> it's me, um, my uh, brother-in-law, Brian, and then it's my two kids and my wife and the brilliant Davy Fitz, uh, Wexford hurling manager and all-round legend. And uh, I just love this photograph because, I mean, I started with my picture of myself and my wife when we got married. And we actually had our daughter, Anna. She was at the wedding. She was two at that point. But it's just great to see. Uh, I'm just very proud of my my daughter, who's 17 now, my son, who's 11, and, and, like my wife, and the fact that we took part in something like this it was it was great to be to be asked it was great to be able to say yes um, I know my wife was very nervous about doing it and she really 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 if, she, if honest if she could have gotten out of it she would have gotten out of it <laughs> so I was very proud that she went through with it and it showed great sort of 
well, fitness levels, but great determination as well, uh, particularly because I knew how much she didn't want to do it. So uh, that was great. And my daughter, Anna, who was up for it right from the word go, she was like, yeah, we're doing it. She was delighted, loved it. And um, she was superb. And she's actually heading off uh, next week to Kenya to work in an orphanage, which she's she's done. She did it last year. She's done it this year. There's a group of them from the Nace Newbridge area. Um, and there's an orphanage over in Kenya run by an Irish guy. And they raise the money and they go over and stay for two weeks and, and work on, in the orphanage, do a bit of paint and do a bit of uh, tidying up, hang out with it. With, it's a, an orphanage for girls who basically either lost their parents or been kicked out of home or trying to get away from arranged marriages. And they take them into the orphanage and they go to school and all that kind of stuff and they feed them, clothe them. So she's doing that. She's. I'm just very proud of her and my 11 year old son, who's a, a bit of a maniac. He's a scooter rider, so he's he's he he does tricks on scooters, backflips and the like. He's he's a bit mad. He's currently looking for sponsorship. That's kind of where his his head is at. And for an 11 year old, it's, it's quite it's quite it's quite interesting to have an 11 year old talk about like trying to get sponsorship for something. You all, you know all about it, I'm sure. Uh, but. Also, you know, it, there's lots of stuff involved because he films his own stunts and he makes his little YouTube videos and, you know, he, he'd be addressing the camera, talking to, talking to his followers and, you know, he's trying to get his Instagram followers up and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it, it's just interesting to see where from the wedding photograph to now, and I think that represents kind of, you know, the end of a certain part of the journey. And it's just nice to look at and it's a great photograph and, and we all look... We all go well because we all we all worked very hard to get into shape for Phil's family. So we're all looking. It's a peak watch family right there. So that's it. That's the picture. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just me and uh, I'm a proud dad. So It's a lovely photo. And uh, when you speak about your mental health, mm. how, how were your family with your mental health? I'm sure everyone needs their support structures and no more so than having family members around. Yeah, look, they're very, my family, we're very open as a family and we, we talk about things a lot. I suppose my whole thing was being the dad of the family that, you know, ever since Anna was young, my whole thing was everything's going to be fine. You know, you feel like you have to be the rock of sense. You have to be telling everybody that, you know, because I work in quite a precarious industry. So you, I've, I've worked in many different radio stations and you're kind of always looking for the next gig. So it can be quite, uh, it can be quite a nervous life for, say, if your wife, if she's kind of, you know, if she's worried about finances, you worry about where, some, where, where you need to get a job to pay the mortgage, all that kind of stuff. So, so you have to be the guy who is saying everything's going to be all right all the time. So I suppose when it, when the breakfast show finished up and, and I got an opportunity to go, look, I need to, right now, you know, I'm going to say, look, I, I don't feel like everything's going to be, I feel like everything's not fine. And I've managed to carry everything up until now and, and keep everything under wraps. And now I'm just going to go and get looked after. And they're very supportive. And as a family, we're very open and we talk about it. I would encourage my kids to talk to us about anything. I don't care what the, what it is. We're not we're not judgmental. And we try not to be a judgmental family. The thing about it is as well with, with mental health and, and with going to see a therapist, it's great to be able to talk to your family. But sometimes you might need to go to a therapist to talk about your family. So, Sometimes your family might have their own issues and they might not have the space or the headspace or the wherewithal or the expertise to help you to deal with what you need uh, that a therapist can give you. So uh, my family have always been very supportive and um, I still continue to go to therapy and I always will, I think. And it takes the pressure off them, I suppose. Um, and I'm a better person for it. You know, as I said, you know, you can you can realise that you need help. You, 
it's not necessarily fair either to, to dump on your family or expect someone else to sort it out. You kind of, if you have, and, and if you have the wherewithal and the ability, you need to go and, and figure it out for yourself. And I think that this picture as well, fitness and the outdoors and, and staying active is, is a big part of looking after your, your health as well. You know, your, your your physical health, your mental health are sort of, they go, they go together, you know. Yeah, you clearly have a, a very great family around you, which is great to see. Well, I just hope they never leave me and I've threatened them. And I said, <laughs> I said, if you ever leave me, <laughs> don't ever leave me. Uh, so I'm very clingy. Well, I'm, well, very, well, I, I'm thinking uh, for your son. Yeah. Uh, you said he's looking for sponsorship. Yeah. I'm thinking he likes his YouTube filming videos, I'm guessing. So yeah. I'm thinking 10 meter diving board, scooter and a ramp. Wow. I think that would be good for the views. I think he would do that. You see, I worry that that's something he would do, you know. It's fairly ballsy. <laughs> well, he's fairly ballsy. I mean, he's, he, he, he he drops in off some fairly big ramps uh, for, for an 11-year-old. And, and as I said, he can backflip on a concrete from on a concrete ramp, which is, which is exceptional. I think at one point he was the youngest kid in Ireland to be able to do that. And uh, he comes home and he tells me every now and then, Dad, I learned this new trick. I'm the youngest kid in, in, in the in the British Isles in, in the UK that can do this trick so he's, he's well, quite we, driven we need I, to get him down to that diving pool then well it was one thing because when I, I was talking to you before I trained to do a, a 10 metre dive backwards 10 metre dive and uh, that's why I was interested in, in your progress at the Olympics but um uh, I did a thing with Red Bull and he came down, my family came down because they were filming it and they did a bit and Finn was quite good off. I mean, he, he went in off the five metre board. He oh. did want, he wanted to go in off the 10 metre board, but they wouldn't let him. But he's that kind of kid, he would. Uh, so maybe, We'll sneak him up there. Maybe we'll, have to, maybe we'll have to bring yeah. him into, maybe we'll give him a few lessons, you know. Oh, definitely. And yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And, and your work in Ireland has taken you also further afield mm. with your work through uh, Troker. Yeah. So my final photo is of you in Malawi, mm. I think. And could you tell us a bit about this? Yes, this is... Um, I went to Malawi with Trokra and they had been giving the people of Malawi uh, some financial help. Um, the reason the reason we went to... And the reason Trokra are in Malawi is because Malawi is one of those countries that is suffering the greatest due to climate change. Um and I suppose it's okay for us in Ireland. We feel like uh, the climate change hasn't hasn't really affected us. Like we kind of get a bit freaked out if the if the four seasons aren't all you know the, the way they should be. And that's rain, the, rain, and more rain. Yes, that's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst. We that's the worst we've experienced so far. But in places like Malawi, just down the road from where this picture is taken, so it's me with a group of villagers, and they're very happy because Troker have given them money, and what they've set up is a water pump close to the village that everybody can use. So they've they've uh, bought down uh, far enough to find the fresh water and they're pumping fresh water. Just over here is the hole they used to get the water out of. Uh, I'm just pointing away from the, uh, off the photograph. So, so, there, so literally there was a hole in the ground over here that I was able to climb down into and at the bottom of that hole there's a little well of water. Now this is, this is sandy water, okay? So there's, it's, not, it's not clean water. Uh, up until they, uh, until they got this pump, humans and livestock drank out of and took their fresh water from this hole. Um, it wasn't even fresh water. It's quite salty, the water that they, that, that they tapped into. So this literally changed their life uh, because apart from this hole, if they were to go f to get water somewhere else, you, you could be talking walk, walking a day and a half. Um, and obviously the, the half day back is you're carrying a full thing of water on your head. And it's generally the women's job uh, to do that. Um, the men like to sit at home and talk about um, how long it's taken the women to get back because they, they can imagine because yeah. they, because they want their dinner, <laughs> and that's how, that's the way the society is set up over there. Which it, it's it's uh, it's 
um, a patriarchy. You know, the men are in charge and they sit around smoking cigarettes and maybe drink a beer and the women do all the work. Um, because of climate change, uh, the country is literally experiencing... It's, it's getting more rain and flooding, but you can have flooding and drought at the same time because you can't drink that water uh, and your hole that you got the water from is covered over in dirty uh, flood water. So it's weird to think that they can have the biggest rains ever and flooding and they have no clean water. When the flooding subsides, the women then are the ones that have to go and get the water. They're having to go further and further and venture further and go to places that they're not used to going to to get the water and and terrible things are happening to them. Like one of the um, one of the side effects of climate change in countries like Malawi is violence towards women. They get home and if they're late with the water, they're being physically um, attacked by their own husbands. And it's it's a strange thing to say, but climate change is affecting the women in these countries um, more than anybody else and physical violence. Uh, and it's 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 like for me to try and put it into those terms for people in Ireland to understand why they need our help. I think that that is something that would hit home. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you think that a, a woman who has children and a home and is trying to do the best for her family is suffering physical violence because of climate change, because we want to uh, burn up uh, fossil fuels. You know, it's, it's... It puts a bit of perspective into it. It puts a bit of perspective life. into it, you know. So, so, so um, Troker, I travelled with Troker to Palestine before and when the breakfast show finished up, I said, look, I've got a bit of free time. I'd love to do something if you've got coming up. So we went out to Malawi and it was great. It was, it was a great experience. Um, uh, just up uh, the other side of the photograph, is, it, there, there was uh, I. We were driving down the country in this near this village, and it's just village after village after village, and the roads are just mud. You know, you're bump, bumping all over the place. Next thing, I looked at this house, and there was a boat outside. We we're in the middle of the desert. I was going, "What the hell is that boat doing there?" You know, how did that? And I was thinking maybe the flood water when it was flooded, it just got washed. And there was another. Used to be a lake there. These guys used to be fishermen, but because of climate change, wow. the lake at some points completely dries up and there's no so there's no fish and there's no they've no livelihood and they used to sell some of the fish they used to eat some of the fish and that was a livelihood and now there's no lake um, so it, it's 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 crazy what's going on but in fairness Truck are doing a lot of work and, and they're helping as many villagers as they can and it was great to get out there and to meet the people and they were very very gracious and very happy and you know as you can expect they sang for us and they made us feel very welcome so it was, it was a real eye opener but I, I love the fact that when I got the job on Breakfast Republic I said this is going to offer me opportunities and I'm going to use those opportunities and I want to travel to places like Malawi and I want to experience things and I want to bring news home and tell people what's going on and just to use your uh, if you have an opportunity um, use it uh, as much as you can tr to try and help other people I'm heading out to there's a, a group called Sight Savers and I'm heading out to uh, to Africa with them to they are the people that help young kids who and adults who have problems with their eyes I don't know if you've seen the ads where the eye lashes grow inwards and basically yeah. scrape their eyeballs till they go blind they, it's a very simple uh, medical procedure they can do and they'll literally go out there set up camp and they'll do thousands of kids and adults every day um, and, and it's literally it's cheap enough what, what, what they can do and, and so I'm going out with them um, 
in a few, uh, next month, actually, to help them with their work and also bring back the news. And, and it's good because we, we want to encourage people to give the money and to show people this is where the money's going. You know? vital work. Yeah, I think so. Well, look, and look, it's a selfish side to it because I'm very interested in, in cultures and tribes and other countries and how they go about their business. And the thing about people in Malawi is they're the busiest people you'll ever meet. Like these people are up at the crack of dawn and they're walking 10 miles to get to where they need to go to do what they need to do. Like you will not, like it's just, as soon as you get up in the morning, the whole country is on the move. Like there's, there's nobody in Malawi looking for a, a handout. Like these people aren't looking for free lunch. Like Troker aren't rocking up there with just handing out, you know, bags of food. They will if they have to, if it's in dire straits. But mostly what they want is just a bit of help so they can get on with their lives. They want anybody to give them money or give them food. They just yeah. want a bit of help. And Troker helping them to learn how to grow different crops so they can uh, diversify. So not they're not just reliant on maize. And because if the maize fails, then they've nothing else. So it's all this stuff that's going on. And and I, I guarantee you, people worrying about these people coming to our country and. You know, the, 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 the sub-Saharan Africans coming and taking our jobs and, you know, just living off for us. So that's not going to happen. It's enough for these people to get to, to get to work every day. They're not going to... They're, they're too busy trying to make it work in their own country, yeah. you know? I can imagine. I can imagine. And like we said, it puts it into some real perspective. I think so. Yeah, yeah hopefully. Definitely. Now, Keith, you've shown us a great insight into mental health and to other fantastic causes. And you've been a real gent and a good laugh. So thank you very much for being on the podcast today. It's well, been an absolute for, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to call you Ollie. I, I would always you should refer, always call me Ollie. I would have yeah. referred to you as Oliver. You know, that's your, that's your official title. That is my official title. I feel, like, yes. I feel like we're now friends, so I can call you Ollie. <laughs> thanks for having me, Ollie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. So there we have it. We've come to the end of our first episode. A huge thank you to Keith, and most importantly, thank you to you, the listeners who have taken the time to tune in. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Life in a Bubble Podcast. And you can contact us via email at Life in a Bubble Dublin at gmail.com. So next time, we will have Paralympic superstar Ellen Keane sharing her experiences and photos on the podcast. For now, though, Keith touched upon some important topics. For anyone out there finding themselves struggling, there's some fantastic charities, so please reach out to them. And we will attach some links to some charities in the bio as well. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode. All of Keith's photos will, of course, be on our social media pages, so check them out. For now, though, hope you have a fantastic time. Thanks a lot for listening, and goodbye.